Luke 14, 26 through 35. Luke 14, 26 through 35. We'll give them a moment to get it on the screen. And you can turn there in your Bibles or on your phones if you have it. If any man come to me, And hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters. Ye in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply after he have laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, finish it all, that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt have lost its savior, savor, excuse me, Wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor ye for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Lord, your word is forever true and relevant. And this morning, I believe that you want to do a work in this house and in these people. Lord, whatever that be this morning, you've placed it in our pastor's heart. And I pray, God, for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the authority of the Word of God and the Spirit of God to reign in this place. And I pray, God, that souls be set free, souls walk in the freedom, God, you've given them. I pray, God, that your will be done this morning, God. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated this morning. Can you give the Lord a hand clap of praise for the spirit of the worship that's been in the house? Amen and amen. I'm not going to be preaching exactly the, probably the way that you think by the kind of text that I have taken. You're looking at that text and saying, oh boy, where are we going to go with that kind of a preaching and teaching? But wow, have you ever noticed that some of the statements and the teachings of Jesus Christ are very, very hard to swallow? For his example, just take the first verse, he that does not hate his mother, father, brother, sister, even his own life, cannot be my disciple. Now that word hate there does not mean that you hate your mother, that it literally means to love less. That Christ has got to be the 
center object of our devotion and our worship and our heart. This whole parable is designed to make us count the cost of our discipleship. It deals with self-denial. It talks about counting the cost. It talks about self-sacrifice, leaving it all. It talks about spiritual warfare. It talks about discipline. And even in one of those passages when he talks about when you're going to go out and then you're going to find an enemy that you got to count your cost to make sure that you're ready, that you're available to whip the odds that are against you. And then if you're not ready and if you're not where you need to be, then you're going to kind of want to have peace then. I want to tell you, we're never to have peace with our enemy. We are to continually pursue until the enemy is driven out of the land. Can I have an amen? We don't put up a flag and just say, you stay on your side and we'll stay on our side. We are to storm the gates of hell and we are to prevail against it. Can I have an amen? When the church loses its backbone to fight, when it loses its ability to go forward, we have then violated the great commission of Jesus Christ. You and I have got to count the cost of our discipleship. When Willow looks at this parable, it may look like and it may appear that salvation is nothing more than another form of bondage. It makes us stand up. It makes us take notice. It makes us consider the cost and examine ourselves to see if we're willing to follow through with our profession of faith, which is to make Jesus Christ Lord and not only Savior. That I want a Savior, but I have to have a Lord. Can I have an amen? All of us need not only Christ to save us, but we need Christ to be the Lord over us. Can I have an amen? But a lot of churches want the freedom of salvation without the cost of salvation. They want salvation, but they don't want discipleship. And we're going to be talking about that a little bit today. You see, Jesus made it pretty clear and plain when he said in verse 33, so likewise, whosoever be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. Now this is a, this is kind of what you would call a metaphor where Jesus is telling you, he's not telling you to go out here and sell your house, sell your car, get rid of everything you got, go stand out in the street and sit there and wait for him to speak to you to do something. That's not what he's talking about. But he's telling you to rend your heart, circumcise your heart, and give all that you have to the glory of God the Father. Can I have an amen? And then in Matthew 10 and 38, he says, he that hath, taketh not his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He said it again in Matthew 16 and 24, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. These are very hard words. And it seems like that those words are putting us into what we would call a form of bondage. Because there is a cost to our discipleship. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that we cannot be his disciples unless we're willing to forsake all, deny ourselves, sacrifice ourselves, take up that cross and follow after him. It is so serious that right after he told us this in one of the scriptures in the book of Matthew in chapter 17 verse 25 he tells us to take up the cross to deny ourselves and then the next verse he says for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul here we see that a lack of discipleship can cause us to lose our soul and you say well how can that be because we're not saved by works we're saved by grace and how true it is. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We're not saved by works, but we're going to show you how important your discipleship is and how you could lose your soul if you don't become a true follower of Jesus Christ. First of all, to be a disciple means you have someone that is Lord over you. He's not just your Savior, the one that saved you from your sin, but he's your Lord. It means that you have someone that has 
charge over your life and that person governs you. It means that you have given yourself over to another as if they have the power of attorney over you right now. My mother, she's 88 years old and we had to make a decision a year or so ago when she still was in her right mind that she had to sign what she called a piece of paper, a power of attorney to give me and Jenny the power of attorney over her life. We make her decisions. We pay her bills. We tell her what to do, when to do, what to do, where to go. All of that because she is losing the capacity of mind in order to be able to do what's right for herself. And this is the same way it is when we come and get saved. We say, Lord, I am turning my life over to you because I don't have the ability to govern my life the way it needs to be governed and I need you to govern it for me. Because if I would just let my mom make her own decisions, she would have been in serious trouble. And can I tell you, you think you know everything? If you have the ability to make your own mind up and just go on your own leadership and your own ability to govern yourself, you would be destroyed because without Christ, you are nothing. Can I have an amen? Somebody shout amen to that. Without Christ, you're nothing. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Amen? Isn't it, 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 it is if that God, that we have given ourselves over our legal, our legal rights over to the authority of another person. Isn't that what Jesus really is? He's not only Lord, but he's advocate. He's our intercessor who is the one that goes and pleads our case in eternity. And he's the one that we put our trust in to go and rep, to represent us and to find forgiveness of sin with the Father. It is him that goes up there and stands in our gap for us and pleads our case and he's the one that presents his blood before the throne room of glory and because of Christ pleading our case, taking our position and representing us, you and I are saved today. Can you give God praise for justification by faith? Amen. Give him praise, come on. As a matter of fact, look at Paul, how he used the language to describe his relationship with Christ in Ephesians 3 and 1. He said, for this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ unto you Gentiles. He said, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I am bound, I am locked, I'm arrested, I'm comprehended by Christ in order to do the will of God, which is to preach to you Gentiles. In other words, I can't do nothing but what Christ has apprehended me to do. He called himself a literal prisoner of Jesus Christ. Then look at Paul's own description of himself. He goes a little deeper in the book of Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. In other words, his life was separated to preach the gospel he was called to preach. But notice that word servant in this passage of scripture. The word servant is the term bond slave in the Greek. And Paul literally called himself Christ bond slave, which means he became a volunteer slave to Jesus Christ. How many of you look at yourself as a volunteer slave to Jesus Christ? I love the words of Mary when they're needing a miracle at Canaan of Galilee, when they had run out of wine at the miracle marriage supper and, and they were sitting there and they, she went to Christ and she began to tell him they ran out and said woman what do you, whatever you have to do with me for my time is not yet and she says you know you get the wine in other words mama was putting her foot down and finally she looks at the other people and says do whatever he tells you to do 
And I want to tell you what we need to do right now in this, past, in this hour is that you and I begin to learn to listen to the voice of God and do whatever he tells us to do. Can I have an amen? He's not forcing anyone, but I want to tell you, let us go on just a little. But the, again, the word bond slave, what does it mean? The apostle Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In other words, Paul said that he was not of his own, that he was bought with a price. Paul was more than just a servant hired by a master. But he was a bond slave, which was purchased by another, Jesus Christ, but still had the freedom to make his own choices. This means that Christ is not a dictator that will take away your free will, but he is Lord that will allow you the freedom to walk away from him and, and out from under the, out from beneath his lordship at any given time. He's not going to force you to serve him. Can I have an amen? He's not going to force anyone to serve him. He's not going to make any individual obey him. He gives you the right and the choice as an individual of whether or not you're going to walk away from him or whether you're going to stick with him, whether you're going to follow him or whether you're not going to follow him. It's just like when Joshua said in the book of Judges 24, verses 14 and 15, when he says, choose you this day whom you would serve. Listen to what he said. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But then listen to what he said. But if this seem evil for you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell in now. But he said, but for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. Can I tell you, serving the Lord is a choice. It is a choice that we make every single day. It is a choice that you and I got to consciously make for ourselves of whether or not we are really going to follow the Lord in obedience. And even though it may seem that salvation is just another form of bondage and a bunch of rules to follow and a list of do's and don'ts, it may appear that it takes away your freedom and your rights. But actually, let me tell you that salvation gives you freedom and it protects your rights. I'm going to... It, it, it protects your life. Matter of fact, even though discipleship may seem hard and strict and demanding and even somewhat controlling, yet when one considers the cost of his true discipleship and then he compares it to the wages of return, we see that it absolutely, absolutely cost us nothing. Can I tell you the truth? Amen. Anything worthwhile is worth investing in. And let me tell you, how many of you got investments out there? We got, we put money in the bank. We get on the stock markets or I don't, I don't know how to play that. I don't have enough money to get on there. But a lot of people have these investments and they want a return for their investments and we want interest. We want profit. We want benefits. Nothing is worth investing in unless it yields a return. Discipleship is a wonderful investment. You know why? Because Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin, your lifestyle of selfishness, your lifestyle of living brings forth death. But the gift of God, the life that comes through Jesus Christ gives you eternal life. Can I say amen to that? 
can I, folks, I'm talking about the wages of accepting and following through and obeying Jesus Christ as Lord. It ensures you eternal life. I'm talking about living forever and forever and forever and forever and forever. And forever and forever and forever. And forever and forever and forever. After we've been there a million years, we're still there living a life of worship and praise and glory and honor to the glory of God who purchased us. And because of our obedience and following through, we get the wage of eternal life. Oh, hallelujah. We're talking about also being able to go to a real place called heaven. John 14, verse 1 through 6, just very, very simple uh, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to where I am. There you may be also. Folks, that's a reality. That's a real place. That's a place that you and I are looking for. That's our blessed hope. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about streets of gold. I'm talking about, go, go, I'm talking about gates of pearl. I'm talking about where Jesus Christ is the glory and the light of all of heaven. He's Lord and Savior. And, the, and then it's a place where God said in Revelations 21, verse 4 and 5, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. He that sat upon the throne said, Right, for these words, they are true and they are faithful. For they're going to happen. No more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow. Is your discipleship, when you count the cost, is it worth it? Can I have an amen? We're talking about a place according to 1 Corinthians 2 and 9. For it's written, eyes not seen nor ear heard, nor is it even entered the heart of man, the things that God's got prepared for them. We cannot even comprehend it. Our, the human heart cannot even conceive what God has prepared for them that love him. Our minds cannot even comprehend or, or imagine what the rewards of eternal life is going to look like and what it's going to feel like and how it's going to be experienced and lived out. We have no idea. Can't even imagine it. But we're not only talking about going to heaven, but we're also talking about avoiding hell. Amen? We're talking about missing that place of torment, escaping that place of punishment. Hallelujah. I like what Jesus said in Mark 9, verse 43 through 45. He gives into the a metaphor. He says, if thy right hand defend thee, he tells you to cut it off. I'll go on to put them all together. And he goes on and he says, if your, left, if your foot offend thee, cut it off. If your eye offend thee, pluck it out. Now he's not telling you to go out here if you've got a lust problem, pull your eye out. You can pull your eye out. If your, if your feet lead you in the wrong direction, you cut them off. Your hand causes you to steal or do things you shouldn't. You cut them off. You still got a problem because it's not a hand or an eye or foot problem. It's a heart problem. And he's telling you to rend the heart. He's telling you to circumcise the heart. Cut it out. Come on, somebody. And he tells you, he says, because if you don't, you're going to have a full body that's going to be cast into hell where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. He goes on and he says, and I will throw them into the furnace of fire and the place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Folks, can I tell you, heaven's real, hell's real. It's a real place. Not only do I get to have heaven, not only do I get to have eternal life, not only do I get to be with the Son of God and, and God forever, but it also allows me to escape the punishment of hell because I deserve to go to hell. But thanks be to God, by the grace of God, I'm saved. Amen. 
Praise God that I don't have to go into that place of damnation. But what seems to be strict rules of discipleship in our text is actually God protecting us from ourselves. That's all it is. It is not God being a dictator, bringing us and forcing us to follow his rules for his sake. It's not about that at all. Discipleship, it, it, it is him as a loving shepherd and leader and savior leading you in the paths that leads to righteousness so that you can be blessed. Amen? Let me, make, let me say this real slow. I want you to get it. God is not leading you to live your life for his sake. He is trying to get you to, he's leading you to live his life for your sake. Amen? It isn't that God wants us and demands us with a big rod, you serve me or else. It's God saying, come and follow me. And if you'll follow my leadership, I'll lead you into the principles that, that guarantee a blessed and fruitful life. Amen. He's doing it not that he can control you. He's doing it to protect you. Can I have an Amen. He became like you so that you could become like him. He traded his life for your death and your dying out to him at the cross caused you to pick up his life so you might live and not, live and not be brought into damnation. The rules and the terms of the covenant are not there to bind us, but they're there to free us. Just like the laws of the land. You, may, you know what? There's a lot of people wanting a lawless land. How's that working out for us? Get rid of the police. Get rid of the law. Everybody do what's right in their own size. Go back to the book of Judges and see what happened when they tried that. And they would say, well, we have no restraints. Everybody wants to live with no restraints. Kids always want to leave at the house when they get about that 13 years old because they think they know everything. And mom and dad's got their thumb on me. They control me. I just want to leave. Pack their suitcase let them leave for about a week and see how they like it. I tried that one time. You know what my mom done? My dad, they packed me a suitcase and said, here it is, get out the door, boy. I found out real fast I didn't want to leave home. There is security in law. Take the police out and see what kind of freedom you have. Take law out and see what kind of freedom you have. Come on, somebody. Are you understanding? And when God's law is there, it's not there to bind you and restrain you and to take your rights away. It's there to ensure your right and to let you know that you're secure and that you can live a life of peace and not destruction. Hallelujah. Believe me, we don't want to live our lives as pleasing unto ourselves because if we live our lives pleasing unto the flesh, we'll, we will die. Amen. John 10 and 10 says, The thief cometh not but to kill, to steal, and destroy, but I've come to give you life. Give it to you more abundantly. John 1 and 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. 1 John 5 and 12, he that hath the Son has life. He that has not the Son doesn't have life. That's why the Acts 17 and 28 says, for in him we live. 
we move and we have our being. It was Jesus that confirmed it in John 11, verse 25, when he talked to Martha. He said, Martha, I am the resurrection. I am the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And then, of course, he also confirmed he was the source of all life to every man that believeth upon him when he said in John 14 and 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father except through me. And Jesus in John 14 and 19 said, yet a little while and the world seeth me no more but ye shall see me and because I live ye shall live also John 3 16 and 17 the golden text of the Bible never needs to get boring to us for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life for God has not come into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved can I have an amen I thank God for eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I know if we suffer with him, we shall also be glorified together with him. There is suffering. Sometimes our flesh don't want to let go of it. You know what? When you're tempted of something and God says, no, there's a suffering there. It isn't that God don't want you to have good things. It's just that God don't want you to partake of things that's going to kill you. You're being tempted to take rat poisoning. The enemy's feeding you with stuff that will destroy you and you, it looks appealing to the flesh and you're saying, I want it. And you suffer. You suffer by not partaking that. But if you are obedient, you know what? Then you don't partake of death. You partake of the source of life through Jesus Christ. Amen? I thank God that he is allowing us to be in partnership, co-labors with him, that he leads us that he guides us and he empowers us to live a life that's pleasing to him so that we are guaranteed a life of blessing and freedom. I understand the promise that the Apostle Paul gave when he said the things that we go through are not, are, cannot even compare to the eternal weight of glory that shall be revealed in us. He said, I count them but dung. I count them but everything I've ever lost for him, everything that I've ever suffered for him, everything that I've ever went through. I just check it out as manure when it compares to the eternal weight of glory that's going to be revealed in us. I'm here to tell every Christian that has suffered in doing righteousness. I'm here to tell every Christian that has suffered in being tempted, every Christian that's ever suffered in just being a Christian, people tormenting you, laughing at you, mocking you, making fun of you, picking on you. I'm telling every Christian that's ever suffered in discipline, denial, sacrifice, having to live a life of temperance, that is, my friend, hard. Self-denial is hard. Amen? Discipline's hard. It's not easy. But can I tell you all that it will be worth it all compared to the return of the benefits and the rewards of eternal life? Amen? Nothing can compare to us having eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. However... Even though eternal life is wonderful, it's the most precious gift that we could ever be given to us. Yet can I remind you here today that this thing called salvation, it's beneficial to serve God now. And even though it may cost us something, yet it not only pays off at the end, but there's a great misconception that we think in the body of Christ that my only reward is in eternity. But I want to tell you, God, when you begin to live for him, the benefits, the blessings, the rewards pays off even in the here and the now. You don't have to wait to get to heaven to be blessed. 
We're not a bunch of Christians that are all poor me. No, we can rejoice. We're highly favored. We have abundant life. We're free in Jesus Christ. If you're free, stand up and shout, I am free in giving praise. Hallelujah. Let me tell you, this thing called salvation in Jesus Christ is not only a religion to die by, it's a religion to live by. It's worth living now. It's got rewards to it. It's got benefits to it. 1 John 5 and 3 says, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And then he tells us something. But his commandments are not grievous. They're not hard. Amen? I preached on Naaman a little bit last week when he went to be healed of the leprosy. And he thought the prophet Elisha would come out and wave his hands or call something down from heaven or tell him to go to one of the other mighty rivers of Damascus to wash. But he was upset because he sent out a servant. He didn't even come out and see him. He said, I'm a mighty man of valor. I'm a general under the Sumerian army. And he mean to tell me he wouldn't even come out and see me for himself. And he's belly aching and he's griping. And the little old damsel looks at him and says, hey, if he would have asked you to do something great, wouldn't you have done it? All he's asked you to do is go dip seven times in Jordan. You'll be healed. Simple. And God's commandments are simple. He's just asking us to follow him in obedience and we will be blessed. Amen. Anything that is good to die by is surely good to live by. If we never inherited eternal life, it would still be the right life to live. It still yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness. Amen. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 18, verse 29 and 30. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left houses or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in the present time and in the world to come life everlasting. Notice something. Notice the words, we shall receive manifold more in this present time. We're always focused on eternity. Hallelujah, eternal life's wonder. He even promised that. This tells thee that my dividends will not just come at the end of my life, but I'm going to be blessed throughout all of my life serving Christ. Hallelujah. It's not only a hope so or a, a maybe or a possibility, but he said that I should or I shall receive manifold more even in this present time as a believer. This means that I am blessed now at this present time and the enemy can't do anything about it. Look at somebody and tell them, I, I, I am blessed now look at them and say, you are, have a blessed life. The word manifold means untold, more, much, much more, multitudes, many, numerous, abundantly. I'm not only blessed, but I'm blessed abundantly. And we walk around, we've been hammering hard about our warfare and what our nation's going through and how we feel and how we've been picked on and how we've been bullied by the enemy. How they're seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, and all that coming in. You know what? It don't matter what they do. I'm blessed. They're coming after me because I am blessed. They're trying to take my blessing away. And I refuse to abort my blessing. Come on, somebody. 
I refuse to get in the molly grubs and follow the sensual fleshly lifestyle of doubt and fear and unbelief that robs us of our faith. But I declare what the Spirit has said. I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. I've chose to believe and follow him and I'm blessed. No matter what they do to me, if they take something away from me, I'm going to get it back a hundredfold. Come on, somebody help me preach right here. We're so focused on the negative that we can't see the positive of what God's doing in our lives. Oh, there ain't nothing positive on Fox. You say, well, there ain't nothing on CNN either. I don't know. I don't watch it. (laughs) You turn on the tube and in 10 minutes you're all depressed. You get in the word of God and see what God's declared and decreed over your life, you'll be blessed. Can I have an amen? The scripture pronounces you as a believer as blessed. We're daily loaded with his benefits. The psalmist said in Psalms 103, verse 1 and 5. But before I go there, let me quote Psalms 68 and 19. Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth me with his benefits, even the God of my salvation. You know what that scripture just said? I may not see them. I may not recognize them. I may take them for granted. I may not be able to grasp them. But the Bible tells me that every day I wake up, God is loading me down with his benefits. Woo! Randy, every morning when you wake up, God says, ha, I'm starting in a blessing for Randy today. Every day he loadeth, daily loadeth his benefits upon his believer. We are daily loaded down, folks, abundantly with God's goodness. If you don't believe me, just take a breath of air. That's why the psalmist said in Psalms 103, verse 1 through 5, listen to what he said. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his fringe benefits. He's a God that forgiveth all iniquities and healeth all of our diseases. And we want to stop right there, don't we? Listen to verse five. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies thy mouth with good things so that the, thy youth is renewed like the eagles. <laughs> Hallelujah. God promises every believer to crown them with loving kindness and tender mercies. God is going to be tender in his touch upon us and he's going to give us mercy and not justice. Amen. Lamentations 3 verse 22 and 23 says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Every morning that I wake up, even though I may have been a little unfaithful in an area, he's still faithful to me because every morning he gives me a new chance of mercy. Every morning I wake up, he's got a new mercy for you, Kent. You don't deserve it, but I'm giving it to you anyway. Every day we live, we're blessed. Miracles are happening all over the place and they're fixing to intensify. Did you know that God wakes us up every morning just to show us mercy? He takes delight in showing you mercy. We used to sing an old chorus that went like this. I am blessed. I am blessed every day that I live. I am blessed when I wake up in the morning and when I lay my head to rest. I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. 
when we first come to Ninth and Cedar, we had a sister Nell. She was up in her 80s, and bless her heart, she might have been able to sing when she was younger, but she couldn't sing when she was old. And we had no piano, we had no music, we had nothing, and she'd get up and she'd start singing that song. I am blessed, I am blessed. Every day I live, I am blessed. When I lay my head to rest, I am blessed. I'm not making fun, that's how it went. And the Holy Ghost would get to moving. And the Spirit of God would come over up on us, five or six people. And I'd even catch myself every once in a while, sing it, sister, sing it. Why? Because I'm blessed. I am blessed. Every day that I live, I am blessed. When I wake up in the morning and when I lay my head to rest, I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. He also said he would satisfy our mouth with good things. I love the invitation of the Lord in Psalms 34 and 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And then he said, and blessed is the man that puts his trust in him. In other words, come and try my way of living. Trust me. And if you do, you'll be blessed. Amen. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the God nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Come on, somebody. Blessed. You're blessed. You're blessed when you fall. It isn't that you're doing that to earn salvation, but because you're saved, you're walking it out. And as you walk it out, you're keeping yourself from the path of destruction. Psalms 100 verse 5, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. His faithfulness endureth to all generations. God's goodness toward the children of men are everlasting. First Chronicles 16, 34, oh, give thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Psalms 25 and 8 says, good and upright is the Lord. Not only is God good, but he shares that goodness with us. Amen? James 1 and 17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift coming from above and coming down from the, uh, coming down from the Father of lights where there's neither verbalness nor shadow of turning. He can't even turn from wanting to do good on your behalf. I like Psalms 84 and 11, for the Lord is a, our God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace, he'll give glory, and he will withhold no good thing to them that walk uprightly. Oh, you hear the promise? I love Matthew 7, 11. If you've been even on how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more does your heavenly father want to give good things to them that ask? It was David that said in Psalms 27 and 13, I would have lost heart unless I had believed, there's the word, key word, believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Not in eternity, not some out there way off, he said, I would have lost heart. I would have gave up if I hadn't have believed that I would see with my own eyes the goodness of God while I'm yet alive. Some of you need to know that the goodness of God's wanting to crash in on you and break in on you, but because of the clouds of circumstances and the atmosphere of doubt and the atmospheres that's been created of the onslaught of the enemy that's come against our church, it's time to say it doesn't matter what we feel. It doesn't matter how dark and gloomy it may appear. I'm still blessed and start proclaiming it, start believing it and watch the goodness of God begin to break out on you and you'll be, see the manifestation of the goodness of God on your life. Amen. He also said that he would keep thy soul from destruction. I'm going to have to hurry. I think I'll skip that. I think we all know it. We understand it. 
Romans 2 and 4, why despises thou his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that it's the goodness of God that leads us to the repentance. It's God loving us into him. It's not God beating us into him. It's God's goodness that draws us into him. It's his goodness that causes us to repent because he's shown us what he's got to offer us, abundant life. He also said that he would renew our youth like the eagle. Oh, my goodness. Amen. Now, he said our life would be renewed. He didn't say our bodies would be until that time of glorification. But we don't have to. We may grow old in flesh, but we don't have to grow old in spirit. Come on, somebody. Psalms 9. We don't take a vacation when we get older. and said, I put in my due spiritually. Come on. You can stay fresh. You know, and, and I'm not wanting to just single people out because there's a lot of people that do this, but I'll just use them as an example. And I could use others. I'd love to see Brother and Sister Marvin. Sister Marvin, now she's only in her 50s, but Brother Marvin's about 106. And they dance and they shout and they worship. They work the altars. I'm sure in their older age, they don't feel like doing that. But I want to tell you, their spirit's still young. Come on, somebody. Keep a young spirit. Keep a vibrant spirit. Keep passion alive. Somebody help me preach here. I almost quoted it a while ago, and I remembered I was bringing it up, so I shut it off. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the seat of the scorn, sinners, nor in the, standeth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law does he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that bring forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall also not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. That's a promise to us. We're not going to be destroyed. There may seem to be a cost in us giving up, dying out, crucifying, sacrificing. But listen to Mark 8 and 35 one more time. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. I'm here to tell you to obey the Lord because the rewards are out, are out of this world. And I want to tell you he's faithful. And the rewards are not only for eternity, they're for now. When he rewards, he does it in manifold ways. You, there's no, there is no telling what God has protected us from. We have no, with the enemy's plots and the enemy's plans and the enemy's uh, devices that's out there, the snares, the, the pits, the dangers. Guys, we, we don't know the landmines land that we've missed because God's been faithful. Come on, somebody. What we think is sacrifice is actually God saving us. What we think is us crucifying ourselves is actually God caring for us. What we think is self-denial is actually our way of deliverance. What we think is pain is our promotion. What we think is our obedience is us overcoming. What we think about us as losing, it's actually us gaining and winning. I see 1 Timothy 4 and 8 where he says, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. Did you get that? Paul reminds young Timothy that bodily exercise profits very little. Only Mike Burton's amen in that. I amen it with you. Bodily sacrifice profiteth little. It profits but very little. But a life of godliness is profitable in all things. He says, it is the promise of life 
that now is and that which is to come. In other words, he says, godliness is the guarantee of life now, not only in eternity. It is the way of godliness that produces the fruit in our life and it is the pathway to success and prosperity and blessing and favor and honor and life. If I want to be blessed, I obey the scripture. I got, I got to quit. I'm getting way off of my notes and I got about 15 more pages. I'm just going to get to what the Lord's speaking to me. I can tell you this. I am blessed rising up and I'm blessed lying down. I'm blessed going out and I'm blessed coming in. I'm blessed in the field and I'm blessed in the city. I am blessed and I am blessed when I'm all alone and I'm blessed when I'm in the presence of my enemy. Come on, somebody. I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. Everywhere I turn, I am blessed. I am highly favored. I am anointed of God. And the more that I am blessed and the more I give out my blessings, the more blessings I keep giving. The more blessings I keep giving from the Lord. The more God empowers my blessing. When I begin to quit griping and complaining and moaning and groaning and being fearful and locked up and bound up with depression and anxiety and fear. The Bible tells us be anxious for nothing but with all things with prayer and supplication in the spirit giving thanks unto God. And then he tells us to, to push through to thanksgiving. Come on somebody. We're blessed. When all the evil comes in against you, thanks on the things that are pure, the things that are just, the things that are good report. You're blessed. You're blessed. Had a great experience yesterday. I'm about to shout the house down. I've been telling you how I've been feeling. As a pastor, the spiritual leaders were trying to birth something and we've been trying to birth it. It's been a long pregnancy in the spirit realm. People that don't understand the allegory, they, they don't understand that. The labor pains that come and the prayer and the intercessory and they're just crying and weeping and you get up and I always told you, well, that's nothing new for us. We've always birthed things in the kingdom, going from one place of glory to another place of glory. Then we'll have a time of rest. We'll start all over again. And we go from glory to glory, from glory for glory, from glory to glory. It's a process. It's a journey. It's a lifestyle. Amen? And I said the only difference between all of the other pregnancies spiritually that we've had in the past is that every time that we would get up from the time of intercessory, there would be that, that, that encouragement from God. It would be like that baby moved and life was there and you're all excited about what's coming. And I said, but the problem of it is I've never felt this baby move. When I'd get up, I'd be excited. Before I left, the spirit would hit me and I would be grieved as if we're going to abort this thing or the baby's unhealthy or it's not coming properly or something's wrong with it. I've been wrestling for six months on this at least. And I said, I don't understand what's going on, God. Well, I want to tell you something. Last night I felt the baby move. He showed me it's still alive. It's still well. It's still there. 
God said, get ready. Things are about to launch. It's about to get in the birth canal. It's about to come forth. Everything that you labored for, everything that you sweated for, everything you've warred over, everything you've cried over, everything you warned about and was concerned about, you can put it aside. The baby's alive. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's going to spring forth and it's going to do it speedily. Is not my word true? Did I, I set you aside for a day such as this? Am I not able to complete what I have started in you? What I have given you to look forward to, to work toward, to be able to accomplish with my help and with my blessing. I am the Lord that heals thee. I am the Lord that guides and directs. And I have set aside this time for you to go forward in might and in my power. Thus saith the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Stand with me. Give him praise. Give him praise. Come on, giving praise, church. God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always have an all sufficiency in all things, may abound to the work of every good work. Whatever God wants you to do, He's going to give you the grace to fulfill it. You're going to what? Have grace. It's going to abound your life that you will always, not sometimes, always have all sufficiency. In all things, in all things, there's nothing greater than having everything that you need. I'm rich, I'm blessed, I'm prosperous because I got everything that I need at my disposal to fulfill the mandate and the call that God's placed on my life. And you do too. Some of you have been getting bad reports, horrible reports. Being bombarded. This week's been unbelievable at the church unbelievable I almost sometimes have to sit back in my chair at my desk and say really are you that blatant Satan it's almost becoming funny now he always liked to do things secretively and behind the scenes and trick you up and do things in darkness now he's coming out of the closet and doing it right in your face and mocking you while he's doing it Come on, somebody. He's took on the big bully syndrome. He's not only doing that in the spirit realm, he's doing it in the natural realm. He's doing it right in the face of our government, right here in our streets. And the way that the world is responding to these movements because they're afraid of them is what the enemy's trying to make us do is follow suit by the example that we see with the natural eye. 
We have a group burning down our cities and no one wants to arrest them. No one wants to do nothing. They're afraid of them. They're afraid they'll be more meaner and more powerful if they do any kind of discipline to them and they're blackmailed. Come on, somebody. And the enemy then just says, well, if that'll work in the natural sense, I'll try it in the spiritual sense. And he gets plum ridiculous. He comes into people's homes and does havoc on their homes, their minds. And he comes against their children. He comes against the church. You can't believe the forces that's against this church right now. And all that mess, and then we're trying to birth something. We're trying to see the glory of God, and we're fighting, and we're, we're, we're war, war in a good warfare. This week, when that baby moved, the inspiration come up in me and said, oh, God is good. And I'm not bowing down. I'm not cowing out. I'm beginning to pronounce the blessings of God over the congregation. If he can curse it, I can bless it. If he can bring darkness to it, I can bring light to it. And darkness can't comprehend it. It has to flee away. Come on, somebody. I bless your going out and your coming in. I bless your laying down, your rising up. I bless you in the city. I bless you in the field. I bless your finances. I bless your wealth. I bless your health. Come on, somebody. I bless you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom all blessings flow. He's the life giver to every situation. I come against that cursed news, that bad news. I got the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's alive. He's well. He'll hold nothing away from you. This is our manifestation season. Don't let him rob you of your joy, your peace, your faith. Believed with me. Believe with me. God's good all the time. I'm a victor when I'm out of the furnace, and I'm a victory in the furnace. It don't matter. Amen. Oh, God, help us. Right now, I'm going to invite you with your hands raised up as high as you can get them, march to this altar. Come on. And start praising him and saying, God, you're a good God. Now, Father, manifest yourself in my situation and tell him what the situation is. Come on, he wants to manifest on you. Don't, don't look at me like a, 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 a cow staring. I'm giving you direction. Lift up your hand. Start praising. Say, now, God, manifest yourself in, in my situation. I need you, God. I'm, I'm here because I'm going to follow you. I'm down out to myself. I'm not trying to work it out. I'm not trying to plan it out. I'm not putting a scheme together. I'm not trying to figure it out on paper. I'm not looking at logics. I'm not looking at common sense. God, I'm coming to you. I'm casting all of my care upon you because you care for me. Now, I bless you in the name of Keep doing it. I bless you as a pastor of the house. I bless these people in Jesus' name. Let my staff come up here. All my staff, get up here on stage. Come on, Bill. Council members, too. Stretch your arms off and then pray over the people. And when you do, start going down and laying hands on the people. Be charged with the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Come on, 
Blessed. Blessed. Bless your daughter. Bless your daughter.